So let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. I'm not going to read the text just yet. I'm going to say a few things because I said my heart is full. And my heart's been full this week as I thought about this morning. Like, I love that we get to celebrate Christmas on Sunday morning. But I have to admit that as I tried to think of what to say this morning, I was a bit overwhelmed. Like, just by the magnitude of what we are celebrating today. How can I possibly do justice to the joy of this day? What words can capture the wonder of Christmas? After all, what we celebrate today is the most incredible, the most wonderful, the happiest news ever announced. God himself has appeared. The creator has entered his creation. The infinite has become infant. The one who upholds the universe was held by his mother. God has become man. As the Christmas carol says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. I mean, how do you put that into words better than they did? I think perhaps C.S. Lewis best captured the wonder of what we're celebrating when he said this about Christmas. If you want to go ahead and throw that up. He said, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. It was the central event in the history of the earth. The very thing that the whole story has been about. And I love that because I don't think he's overstating it when he says the very thing the whole story has been about is God coming to be with us. And when he appeared, it was the defining moment in human history. Yes, the cross and the resurrection are necessary and glorious, But neither can happen without God first taking on flesh and becoming man. This is the event that everything else was preparing for and now flows from. So this morning what I want to do in our time together is I just want to reflect with you on the wonder of Christmas. And the joy that came when he appeared. And to do that, I want to look at a couple places from the book of Titus. So hopefully you've turned there. We're going to start looking at Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. So hear the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, And godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now drop down a couple verses to chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, 
hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to think about with you this morning. There's a lot in this, but I want to look at just a few quick things as we look at the appearing of Jesus. So go ahead and throw the outline up there. We're going to look at when, when Jesus appeared to bring salvation, we're going to look at first who he appeared for. Who was it that he came for? Second, what exactly appeared when he appeared? Third, why he appeared? And then fourth, how his appearing changes our hope. Okay, so that's kind of a roadmap for you of where we're going to go. So first, look with me again at chapter 3, verse 3. And just marvel at who it is that Jesus, the Son of God, appeared for. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's not a pretty picture. And that is who Jesus came for. He did not come for people who have it all together. He came for people who are an absolute mess. People who are weak. People who fail. And the kind of people that most other people would want nothing to do with. Look at how it describes us here. Press in a little bit. It says we were foolish. Now we don't like to think of ourselves that way, right? But it says we were foolish. That means we lacked true knowledge and real understanding. In our modern terms, we'd say we just didn't get it. We didn't understand God. We didn't understand life. We didn't understand right and wrong. Didn't understand what really matters. Now, don't get me wrong. We thought we did, right? We, we were pretty confident, like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I, I know what's going on. But as Romans 1 tells us, claiming to be wise, they became fools. That was us. But that wasn't, it. that wasn't all of it. The picture gets worse because on top of our foolishness, we were disobedient. We were rebels at heart who defied authority and disregarded any rules we didn't agree with. If we agree to them, sure, we'll keep them. But the minute we think that rule is either unnecessary or too restrictive, or I just, that doesn't apply to me, we said, never mind. The only thing that we did obey was our own desires, which is why it goes on and says we were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. See, we all believed the devil's lies and were sold a bill of goods that sin could actually satisfy us. When he held out and said, if you do this, there's, there's a better way. And we said, okay. Because we thought there was a better way than trusting God. And so it says we were controlled by our desires. Constantly looking for anything and everything, whatever that would make us feel better, happier, safer, more successful, or more light. It goes on and says that we were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It says we were malicious. We were mean. 
unkind toward others, hurtful toward others. Not only that, it says we were jealous. We were jealous of anyone who had anything that we wanted. I mean, it doesn't pull any punches when it says we hated others and were hated by others. So I hope you're getting the picture from verse 3 here that we were a very unlovable bunch of people. And if you're like me, and as we go through that, you see more of yourself in that description than you wish you did, I have good news this morning. That's exactly who Jesus came for. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He appeared for the least likely and least deserving. So if you know, as we read through verse 3, like, that's me. If that's you, then when we sing again, sing your heart out and celebrate like you mean it today because Christmas is for you. And the news gets even better when we look at what it is that appeared when Jesus appeared. In our passage, did you catch it? It mentions three things that appeared. You see them? Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Grace, goodness, loving kindness. Think about these for a minute with me. First, when Jesus appeared, it says the grace of God has appeared. John 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. And this is really good news that when Jesus came, it meant the grace of God appeared. Because think back two minutes ago, do you remember who we were? Remember what kind of people? We were the people who deserved nothing from God except wrath and judgment because of our sin. God didn't owe us anything. He wasn't on the hook to give us anything So we praise God that when he appeared, it was his grace that appeared. Undeserved favor. Unmerited mercy. See, the good news, friends, the good news of Christmas is that God is not like Santa at all. Santa makes his list of who's naughty and nice, and then he gives everybody what he thinks they deserve and what their behavior has earned them. The problem with that system is that we're all on the naughty list. Every single one of us. But God, he's different. He gives grace. He gives us the good things we do not deserve. Romans tells us we are justified by his grace as a gift. But if it is by grace, it says, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So aren't you glad that when Jesus appeared at Christmas, it was the grace of God that appeared? It goes on. It also says it was God's goodness that appeared. Now that word there, I think it's actually better translated kindness. So every other time in the New Testament that ESV translates it kindness. For some reason here they call it goodness. But I want you to just ponder this for a moment. Like, Again, we can just read past things. It's helpful to hit pause and let, kind of just soak in something for a second. So think about this. When God wanted to show us his kindness, there's a lot of things he could have done. He could have written about it. He could have composed a song about it. 
He could have sent messengers. But what God wanted, when he wanted to show us his kindness, he sent us a person. Jesus is God's kindness with flesh on. If you could take kindness and put flesh and bone and skin on it, that's Jesus. Jesus is God's goodness walking around. Think about what Jesus did during his earthly ministry. He helped. He healed. He forgave sins. He freed from demons. He provided food to eat. He taught about the kingdom. He restored. He renewed. He changed people. He died for us. That is what the kindness of God looks like in action. And it appeared when Jesus appeared. Not only that, it says God's loving kindness appeared. Now the word they're translating here is a Greek word that might sound like something you know. Philanthropia. Sounds like philanthropy. It means literally love for mankind. So when Jesus appeared, it's saying God's love for mankind showed up. 1 John 4 says it this way. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In what? That God sent his only son into the world. Sometimes we, we might tell people, you're having a conversation and somebody mentions they're going to go see Bob. They're like, oh, well, send my love. Send my love when you see him. It's just meant to express kind wishes or nice thoughts. When you see them, send my love. But when God sends his love, he doesn't just send his sentiments. He sends his son. When he says, I'm sending my love, it shows up and it has a name, Jesus. But how can this be? How can the appearing of Jesus, a man, mean the appearing of God's grace and God's kindness and God's love? It's because of what we read in Colossians. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why the incarnation of Jesus is a wondrous mystery. If you wonder why we sang of that earlier, this wondrous mystery, wondrous mystery, Jesus Christ, our mystery. It's not that, it's not that we don't get him. It's just like, how, how can this be that he, the theme of heaven's praises, was now robed in frail humanity? The wonder of Christmas is that when Jesus appeared, God's grace and goodness and love appeared in him. Which brings us to the third point. Why? Why did he appear? And there's two things in our passage I want to look at here. First, he appeared to bring salvation. Do you see that in chapter 2, verse 11? It says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. So why did the grace and goodness and love of God appear to such sinful and undeserving people? To save us. And friends, this is such good news because hear this. The coming of God into the world could have been the worst news in history. What we celebrate and sing songs about, if he, came, if he had come to judge the world and to give us what our sins deserve, the incarnation would have been the most horrifying event ever. But instead, 
We're here singing joy to the world. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Oh, come, all ye joyful and triumphant. Why? Because as John 3.17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Christmas was a rescue mission. Jesus did not come merely to teach us or to give us an example of what a good person looks like. He came to save us from our enemies that we've seen the last couple weeks from Satan and sin and death. And notice something else about this salvation in our text. Salvation is something God did, not us. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Friends, Jesus didn't come to help us clean ourselves up. He didn't come to make us just a little bit better, that we were, we were doing okay and he got us over the hump. He didn't come to help us improve ourselves so that we could save ourselves. He came to save us. We did nothing. It was not because of works done by us. In other words, it was not because of anything good that we've done or anything bad that we've avoided doing. It wasn't based on our efforts or our performance at all. So what was our salvation based on? Verse 4, his goodness and loving kindness. Verse 5, his mercy. Verse 7, his grace. Friends, our salvation isn't about what good people we are. It's all about how good and gracious and kind and merciful and loving God is. And that's what appeared when Jesus appeared. When he appeared, he saved us. And don't forget, who's the us? It's all those undeserving people up in verse three. And how did he do it? How did the Jesus who appeared bring salvation? Verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Friends, that's how much this salvation cost. It cost the incarnate Son of God, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the unique one in all of human history. There's never been a, a greater, more wonderful human being, and it cost him his life. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. And all of this is why our passage calls him, not once but twice, our great God and Savior. Because he appeared to bring salvation. But the grace of God in Jesus didn't appear only to save us. He also appeared to change us. That's the second thing I want to see here. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, now the thought continues in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Friends, Jesus appeared to train us to live differently. He came to change both what we do and what we desire. He appeared to help us say no to ungodliness 
and sinful pleasures and instead say yes to lives marked by self-control and righteousness. He appears, it says, to make us a purified people who belong wholeheartedly to him. A people who don't merely try to just stay out of trouble, but a people who are eager to do what is good, who are zealous for good works. So friends, are you discouraged this morning by who you are when you look in the mirror and see, see your own soul? Are you frustrated that you feel so trapped in some of your sinful patterns? Do you feel stuck and hopeless that things will never be different than they are? If so, the good news of Jesus' appearing is that he appeared to both save us and change us. He came bringing salvation and training us. He came to redeem us and purify us into a people eager to do what is good. He's doing that. If you are in him this morning, you may not feel it, you may not sense it, but if you belong to Jesus, you are his own possession and he will purify his people that he now possesses. But that's not all that changed. It just, it just keeps getting better. When he appeared, the appearing of Jesus also changed what we hope for. Do you see that in verse 13? It tells us that we are now a people waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he appeared once to bring us salvation and to change us, we now long for him to appear again. See, Christmas is not just about remembering that Jesus came the first time to do his redeeming work. Christmas is also about hungering for him to come again and finish what he started. Verse 13 shows us that an essential part of godly living is waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. His first appearing trains us. Because he came, it trains us to wait and long for him to come again. That's why we constantly, every year, sing and we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And this kind of waiting doesn't just mean passing the time until something happens. Like, oh, I've got a few hours to kill. It doesn't mean that kind of waiting. It isn't like sitting in a waiting room just looking for distractions to keep you busy until something else occurs. This is waiting for our blessed hope. The thing that we want more than anything. The thing that we know is coming. And this waiting is eager longing for that hope to get here. It's the child on their way to vacation looking out the window saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? It's the bride counting down the days to her wedding when she finally gets to be with the one she loves. It's the homesick child at, the, at a friend's house who's just waiting for their daddy to come pick them up and take them home. It's the little kid who can barely sleep as he waits to go downstairs Christmas morning. Friends, as Christians, we're waiting for Jesus to appear because that's the one thing that will change everything. And that means that until he comes, we ache and we long and we groan because right now, things are not what we want them to be. They're not what they will be. So we groan over the sin that we still see in our hearts. We groan over the fact that our great God and Savior is still ignored and rejected by so many. 
We groan over viruses and poverty and cancer and lying and murder rates and domestic violence and divorce and racism and injustice and division. We groan over death and funerals and goodbyes. We look out our windows every day and we say to God, how long, how much longer till you're there? Waiting for Jesus like this means feeling the brokenness of this world and yet knowing it won't always be this way. It means longing for the better world that is coming when Jesus comes to make all things new. It means knowing that his return is a matter of when, not if. So we long for him. We look for him. We pray for him to come because he is our blessed hope. So friends, Are you waiting this morning? Are you waiting and aching and longing for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is his appearing the thing you look forward to more than anything else, knowing that when he comes, that moment, everything changes? That moment when everything sad comes untrue, when sin and sorrow and death and pain are no more, when every wrong is made right, and when your wildest dreams and deepest longings look pitifully boring and microscopically puny compared to the glory that appears when that trumpet rings out and the skies split and King Jesus comes in all his majesty and splendor. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, our hope is that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will appear again. And when he appears we also will appear with him in glory. Right now, this morning, we mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears to disperse the gloomy clouds of night and put death's dark shadows to flight. When he comes, he will bid our sad division cease and he himself will be our King of Peace. When he appeared the first time, Jesus came in grace. But when he comes again, he will come in glory. So this Christmas, we rejoice looking back that he has appeared, bringing salvation and changing us. And we long for him to appear again, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. For we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. So brothers and sisters, this Christmas, hear your Savior say, surely I am coming soon. To which we say with all our hearts, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending your Son Lord, we can't even begin to fathom what that all means. That all your fullness was pleased to dwell in him bodily. That your grace and your goodness, your kindness and your love took on flesh and walked among us. That you showed us your love by sending him, and not just sending him to be with us, but sending him to die for us, for all of our rebellion all of our ignoring of you and rejecting of you and turning from you. You didn't just leave us in our sin. You sent your son to bring us back. 
So Lord, we praise you for the appearing of our great God and Savior. And we long for him to appear again. Would you whet our appetites this morning? God, would Christmas not only stir us for in gratitude for what you've done, but would it awaken longings and yearnings for him to come again? So God, would you be pleased this morning as your people sing and celebrate and rejoice in the coming of your son and anticipate his coming again. We pray that all that we do would be for your praise and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.